0: We are in part 15 of our Life of Worship series. And remember, next week is that odd week, the last weekend of the month, where we switch everything up and go to the other series, Learning to Worship. So always be prepared to have your world messed with, all right? This one, however, is the Life of Worship series, where we're going through First and Second Samuel, studying the lives of King Saul and King David. I entitled today's message, Determined, to be righteous. And I want to begin with a concept. For too many of us, we have grabbed a word and misused it, and that is the word salvation. The process or concept of salvation is much deeper than we make it in our minds. For too many of us, we use the phrase I'm saved, and we think of it in terms of, I'm saved from hell, I have my heaven ticket. And we think that that is sufficient. That the purpose of going to church, the purpose of being around God at all, is to make sure you get in His good graces so that you can go to heaven, but everything else is minimalized. Nothing could be further from the truth. The descriptions that God uses in His Word are things that are much deeper. He uses phrases like born again. To be born again means that we are starting a whole new type of life. Salvation is actually the beginning catalyst of a whole new way of living. It says that we go from darkness to light. That we go from death to life. This is all about suddenly emerging into a brand new kind of world and a brand new kind of living. Now, ultimately, as we close out this life, it will result in a process called glorification. Glorification is where sin is removed. And we see him as he is. And our bodies are changed and we become as he is. In the sense of now being freed from the temporal restrictions. And being able to be heaven bound. In between those two stations of life. It's called sanctification. A fancy word that means becoming like Jesus. Having the image of God restored in us. And we must understand that that is a powerful process. It's a messy process. It's a lifelong process. As a matter of fact, one thing that I was recently reading in Erwin McManus's book, An Unstoppable Forest, that was a big, uh, great book for me many years ago, earlier in my pastorate, and now even then... Oh, we got more stuff. All right, thank you very much. For many of us, We look at this idea of growing, Irwin said, in a very, very inappropriate metaphor. We think of ourselves as growing by saying it's similar to a building. We need to lay a foundation. We got the first floor. As long as we have the first floor, we can live there. We can live there our whole lives there. I hope that we add on more levels. It'd be really great to have a three-story building. It'd be really great to have another wing. It'd be really great to be able to do this. All that stuff is gravy. As long as we have the first floor down, we're good. He said that is inappropriate. It would be better to say that new Christians are like new babies. That you don't say about your new baby, I hope it grows ahead. I mean, it's an awesome trunk. And you know what? I hope that other arm pops out at some point because it's going to be really difficult for the baby to grab stuff. You don't say that. As a matter of fact, the baby comes out loaded with DNA of all that it will be when it becomes an adult, but it needs time and processes and strengthening and testing for it to become all that it will be. But it's all loaded into the DNA in the same way. We as Christians, when we become new creations in Christ, when we surrender and submit and fall before our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we say, save me, and He says, I must give you a new heart. When that occurs, He loads within you by the indwelling Holy Spirit all that you will become, but you have to grow up into it. But that's, as I said, messy it's hard it's a struggle now from God's vantage point he looks down and realizes that he's doing all the heavy lifting he's doing everything necessary he's the one that's giving you the power to make the good decisions he's the one that's bringing in testing and he's the one that's helping you through he's the one that's doing the refreshment but from our perspective he allows us to see it that some of it he will do for us and some of it we need to do why why Because if we don't do any of it, we won't own it. And we say phrases like, well, that was fortunate that I grew up and spiritually matured.
1: I don't know how that
0: happened. Well, that's good. I hope I get more spiritually mature. Those are all inappropriate statements. What God does is he allows the Holy Spirit to bring in testing into our lives so that we can flex those muscles and grow. And strengthen and get more mature. And he presents us with opportunities to make good decisions so that if we do not, we can single handedly and firsthand see the consequences. So that we own the process. That is sanctification. I'm going to read a statement that I wrote here in a paragraph because it's loaded with things I want us to burn into our soul. So just listen to these concepts. It's a short paragraph. As the Holy Spirit leads us through life, we are to follow God's word obediently, taking every advantage of what God has given us. Part of that process is to bring our bodies under submission to God's will which means establishing new patterns and habits in our lives and making good decisions and right choices despite how we feel about them at the time. It's about practically allowing God to have the throne of our lives and surrendering to his leadership daily while preparing our bodies to be prepped to do what we ask them to do. Does that make sense? Look at the fill in the blank. Let's be honest. Doing the right thing is hard work. I mean, I understand I can get really spiritual about all this stuff. And we can talk about it and we can get into all this. And then when you get home, this is a phrase that's still in your head. It's hard work to do the right thing. Living righteously. Saying no to yourself and yes to God is hard work. Work I don't want anybody leaving here thinking that it's cake. I don't want anyone here assuming that in some way God's going to do everything for you. Why would he do that? Why would he remove the need for faith? Why would he carry you and never allow you to learn to walk? That's not what you do with babies God is more concerned with our transformation than our comfort. He's more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. Does that make any sense? So where are we at? We're about to walk into a story where David is pressed again and again and again to make right decisions. How is it possible that he consistently makes some good decisions while Saul seems to consistently always make poor decisions? What's the difference between these guys? Now, let me give you a little recap, because some of you have a hard time remembering what we talked about last week, right? Like my wife, okay? She forgets too. As a matter of fact, I forget. So, okay, so let's recap. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Saul wanted to kill David, brings 3,000 of his men to go slaughter David, his little crew of, what, special ops. They go down and they go to kill David. And he's in a cave and David cuts off the corner of his robe and says, look, I could have killed you. I didn't falls before Saul. I'm not the bad guy. Stop listening to these guys around you. I'm not your enemy Remember? And then Saul said, oh, David, my son, I've completely fallen apart. You're absolutely right. You're more righteous than I. I feel terrible about this. I'm so sorry for trying to kill you. I'm going to go home now. So he goes to the palace and David goes back to the cave. You remember that? Then last week. We have Abigail. Remember that gal? Super sharp, super humble. She comes in and demonstrates both to her husband. What was her husband's name? Idiot. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Helps him realize he's a moron. He's not looking at God at all. David is completely lost in his anger and arrogance. He's not looking at God. And this woman has to lay a foundation of humility just to get God back into the picture. Well, here we are back in the story. How did it go for Saul and David? Is Saul still going to chase David? I mean, he just had this big awareness, this great revelation that he was wrong and that David will one day be king. So how did that go? I don't know, let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1, page 210 in your Bibles that were handed out. 210, 1 Samuel 26, 1, how quickly we turn. I'm going to read the first five verses and we'll pray for the word and see what God has for us. Now the Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and they said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon?" So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah facing Jeshamon, but David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. And Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. Well, that's funny. This sounds an awful lot like last time. Strange. A little bit of a deja vu scenario. Why in the world would Saul do this all over again? I don't know. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, we offer up our lives to you and ask that you would teach us and download to us a new way of living. A new way of seeing things that we would take on your heart, your view, your perspective. Lord, we are so fickle. We're so passionate one day and so not the next. Lord, we make such great determinations in our hearts and then we live differently. Father, please bring us to integrity in you. In Jesus' name we pray amen so here we have it Saul does it all over again same 3,000 guys hey we got to go kill that guy they're like didn't we try that once before we were all ready to kill him and then you bailed out as a matter of fact if I remember Saul you cried you were like oh I'm a loser right I mean I remember that all right I guess we're going again now it says the Ziphites betrayed David. Do you realize they're the same group that betrayed him last time? What is a Ziphite? That's a person that lives in Ziph. <laughs> That's it. It's a southern territory. It's just a dumb name. There's no way to get around it. So the Ziphites hand him over, and it seems like no matter how much David does the right thing, everyone's betraying him. No one's ever acting like he's a good guy. They're handing him over going, hey, Saul, you could kill him really fast if he came here well, that's not very nice. Nobody seems to be recognizing him as a good guy. Have you ever in your life done the right thing over and over and over and got no credit for it? Irritating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So they betray him again. Saul shows up with the same crew. And it says, as they encamp for the night, all his men have surrounded him, that's pretty normal where you have the king in the middle because if you lose the king, everybody goes into chaos, so they all have to protect him. And he has his private bodyguard, the commander of his army, a guy named Abner. Anybody remember little Abner? So you could just put little Abner in the story right there. Now, <laughs> the funny thing about little Abner is his dad's name is Ner. That's dumb. You can't have a dad named Ner, right? And then your name is Abner. It's just like, what? (laughs) Mom's name is Barbner. You know, you're just like, what? This is getting ridiculous. All right. Now, Abner is Saul's cousin. He's the commander of Saul's army. So let me ask you a question. Why can't Saul let it go? Last time he said, David, I know you're going to get the throne. He has all the information in his head. Why can't he let it go? Pride, right? There's no, the idea of submitting to someone else and giving up all control is not natural. You don't want to do it. Your whole flesh will fight against it all the time. It's not something that you can go, I sure hope that I give up sometime. Your body's going to be, no way we're not giving up. Are you kidding me? I will fight to the death, right? And here's the other thing. Saul really meant it when he said he was sorry. And that he wouldn't try to kill David again. He really meant it. How do we know? Because he cried. When you cry, you really mean it. Right? Don't we all know that? If you cry about something, whoa, now you mean it. Okay? Now, here's what's funny. This is us. How many of you, don't need a show of hands, that'll be embarrassing. How many of you have cried about some sin that you've committed, and you are quite certain that you will never do it again? And then you did. Now you understand Saul, right? Oh, you were so upset about it. And you meant it at the time. You were absolutely horrified by your behavior. And you cried out to God, I, I am a fool. I can't believe I keep falling into this pit. God, I will never do it again, right? And then you did. Hmm. See, here's the thing. Whether you really, really mean it emotionally or not, emotions will not carry through change. There has to be other factors. There has to be other issues going on that will support that initial remorse. You have to have patterns, behaviors, things backing you up. You have to have a plan in place to bring about change, to alter habits, or it's not going to happen. Saul meant it, but then he meant something different later. Go on to the story in verse 6. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite, notice that his guys aren't all Israelites, they're kind of a conglomeration of thugs, David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite, and Abishai son of Zariah, Joab's brother, pause, Joab and Abishai are David's nephews, his sister's kids, they are tough as nails, Abishai is an absolute hothead, Abishai is willing to kill anyone at any time. This is on David's team. So he asked two of his guys, who's going to go down into the camp with me to Saul? Which is basically saying, who wants to go die with me? You don't just go down and talk to Saul. They will kill you. There's 3,000 men down there. And they're all looking for you. David's going to walk into his camp. Who's going to go with him? Well, Ahimelech's like, "Uh, not me. Abishai says, I'll go. I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. There was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Now, we all realize Saul doesn't go anywhere without a spear, right? You never know when you need to throw it at a young person. You always have to have that available. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai the hothead said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't have to hit him twice. Right now, this guy's hardcore. They're creeping through the camp, right? they're trying to be all secret. And they go in. There's three thousand guys around them. And Abner's like, "Let me at him." How ironic would it be, man? I'll take his spear right next to his head. I'll jam it right into his body. it will be awesome, right? Because he's like, "Oh, I'll throw it at David. I can throw it at David whenever I want." You know what? How about this? Take that. You know. And now abner's going off, and David's like, "Dude, knock it off." Okay. David is being incited to kill Saul. And remember, this is a dramatic temptation. Why? Because God has already anointed him to be king over Israel. Everybody knows the spirit has left Saul. He's no longer God's man. Or is he? See, David has a different perspective, but Abishai's going, man, we can end all this right now. You let him go in the cave. I have no idea why. That was a stupid decision. So now we have number two option and I'll do it. You stay out of it. I'll ram him to the ground, right? So what does David say? But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Meaning, no, 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 he's still God's guy. How do we know that? Because he's still in power. God will take him out. It's not going to be us. I'll tell you that. He said, as surely as Yahweh lives, the Lord himself will strike him down. Meaning like Nabal. Remember, that was an enemy of David and God just killed him. Or his time will come and he will die naturally. Or he'll go into battle and perish. Now that's prophetic because that's exactly what's going to happen. But Yahweh forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed ain't gonna be by me Now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left now No one saw it or knew about it nor did anyone wake up They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep First thing that I noticed They're creeping through right and they think they are sneaky they're quite convinced that they are the most awesome sneakers. They're going through and they're like, check this out. We can totally have a conversation right above him and he doesn't even wake up. We are so awesome. Okay. Now, how many times have we attributed something that we did all to us? Cause here's the thing. David doesn't know that God put him into a deep sleep. David thinks he's awesome. Now, this is the deal. How many times have you figured out in your business, man, I'm such an incredible CEO. Look at what I built. Blah, 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 blah. You had no idea that God has done all the heavy lifting. He's the one that gave you favor. He's the one that figured it all out. And you still think you're amazing. At all times, you need to calculate that God is helping you succeed. But David didn't know that. They're still telling stories. And then I was like, oh, no, almost stepped on that dude. And then I was, and you're like, no, no, you could have yelled and they're not going to wake up. God completely fixed the whole scenario. Right? Second thing I noticed, David is absolutely determined not to kill his enemy. No matter peer pressure, no matter his own internal alarm going, I don't want to run anymore. But he won't do it. He is determined to be righteous. At some point, we have to go beyond how am I going to feel? And we have to say, this is what type of man I will be. This is the type of woman I will be. I'm not going to wait to see how I feel in the moment. I'm not going to wait and see how I do. I will be this character, this integrity the only thing that's going to carry you through some dark days. Third thing I saw. David still had a way out of his temptation to kill Saul. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 10:13. Check out this verse. It is one of the most commonly and inappropriately quoted scriptures. Drives me crazy. Everybody takes it out of context. Stop it. It does not say God will not give you more than you can handle. It's not what it says. Context. Temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So he starts off and says, listen, we're all human beings. We all have issues that we're going through. You always think, because Satan's messing with your head, that you're the only one going through it. No, you're not. You are not alone in that. Oh, but my sin is weird. Not really. Trust me, I've heard all kinds of stuff. Stuff that would blow your mind. You're not alone. You're a human being. Human beings go through weird stuff. I'm a human being. I go through weird stuff. Almost always in every conversation I have with someone, I can get into your head and figure out that if I was you, I'd be wrestling with the same thing. We're just people. Then he moves on with encouragement. God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. That means He will be there every time. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Tempted. His testing will never force you to sin. That's the context. As believers in Jesus Christ, as new creations in the Lord, as adopted children of God, we will not be forced to sin. There will always be options. The world does not have that. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I suggest to you this. Next time you're ready to walk in to something sinful. Look to your left. And guess what? There's a door cracked open. And God will look at you and go, you going to take it? you going to walk out? Oh, it's too heavy. I can't handle it. Of course I'm going to sin. Why? There's the door. Walk out. No, we sin not because there's no other option, but because we don't want any other option. No, we'll sit right in the room with our sin for a really long time because we don't want to get out. But Nate, no mistake, the doors cracked open for a reason. You can always run. You can always get out. Then David crossed over to the other side, verse 13, and he stood on top of the hill some distance away. That's key. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the armies, waking up Saul and his crew, and to Abner, son of Ner, and he said, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Answer replied, who are you that calls to the king? And David said, you're a man, aren't you? What, who is like you in all of Israel? You're a big dog, right? Why didn't you guard your Lord, the king? Someone came to destroy the Lord, your king. What you have done is not good. As surely as Yahweh lives, you and your men must die because you didn't guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear? Where's the water jug that was right near his head? Oh, look, I got it. What's going on here? i think david's flesh is coming out i think that david has been doing the right thing for so long he's starting to crack i think that david is frustrated and he's taking that out on abner now remember why did he, why was he able to sneak in god but he's not paying attention to that he's not giving god any credit quite frankly it's not abner's fault god put him into a deep sleep but david is so ticked off he's like i'm angry so i'm gonna mess with you right? And he just picks him and starts tearing him apart publicly. Oh, you're a man. Nice bodyguard work. Oh, look, we walked right into your camp, stole the king's stuff, could have cut off his head. You know what? You're the worst bodyguard I've ever seen. And he's just taunting him publicly. Now that's not cool. Have you ever felt that way? When you just get angry and you're so exhausted from things not going right and people keep coming after you, after you, after you, finally you just snap on them that's reality that's humanity what are we going to do with that doesn't make david look very good i'll tell you that saul recognized david's voice and he said is that your voice david my son you're like oh no here we go again (laughs) david replied yes it is my lord the king and he added why is my lord pursuing his servant what have i done what wrong am i guilty of Now let my lord the king listen to his servants words if yahweh has incited you against me Then may he accept an offering meaning if god's forcing you to chase me i'll have to deal with god but If however man has done it may they be cursed before yahweh stop listening to them They have driven me away from my share in the lord's inheritance and have said go serve other gods What does he mean? He means they have kicked me out of israel I can't even live with my people. I can't even be part of the Israelite heritage because everyone's filling your head with jealous thoughts. And you're stealing my life away. This isn't what God has for me. Stop it. Now, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. Don't let me get kept away from the temple. I can't even go worship. And now the temple's not designed yet, it's a tabernacle. Don't keep me away. It's not right. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. What does David mean? He means Saul, go big picture, man. All you're thinking about is jealousy, 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 jealousy. You keep going, oh, as long as David's alive, I can't be at peace. Blah, 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 blah. Stop it. I'm a flea in your world. I'm not that big of a deal. You're the king of Israel. Shouldn't you be about bigger stuff? Why are you still obsessed with me? I'm a nobody. Leave me alone. And then he uses a phrase that I thought was funny because of what I researched. He said, it's like you're hunting a partridge in the wilderness. What does he mean? (laughs) I read this one commentary and it says, the sand partridge is the only bird in that area. And the sand partridge is really fast. And it runs away from its attacker until it grows tired and exhausted. Then it falls over and you can beat it with a stick. (laughs) I was like, what? So so you got to picture this. David's using this analogy. He's like, I know I'm fast, right? And I have evaded you every time, man, but I'm getting tired. So the little partridge is like, he's hauling. Then he goes, oh, tired. Oh, falls over. He's like, you're just going to beat me with a stick at some point. I can't keep running forever. Then Saul says, I have sinned. You're like, yeah, I know. Come back, David, my son. What? Come back to the palace. You're like, no, you keep throwing things at my head. I am not coming back with you. That is not going to happen. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. You're like, you know what? I think you will. Surely I've acted a fool and I've erred greatly. So he just said, come on, buddy, let's hug. Right? Listen to what David says. Here's the king's spear. David answered, let one of your young men come over here and get it. I'm not coming over there. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Surely as I valued my life today, so may Yahweh value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. You know what you just saw happen? It's called boundaries. Y'all know what I'm talking about, yeah? Boundaries are for toxic relationships. Saul cries out, oh, I'm so sorry. Man, I really didn't mean to chuck a spear at your head. That's so mean, I know. You know what? I'm totally hurting you, and all I do is bad stuff, but you know what I mean at this time? No, seriously. I'm crying, look at me. Now, seriously, I am tore up about this whole thing. Now, David, I just want you to go ahead and come home. David goes, you know what? Ain't going to happen. We're sorry. That's not going to go. Why? Because I've seen you cry before. See, your thing is all about emotional responses. You're not doing anything to follow it up. So, no, I'm not coming home. I'm staying over here. Quite frankly, there's a good distance between you and me for a reason. Now, here's what's intriguing about boundaries. David was always looking for reconciliation. David was always looking for restoration. He never shut the door on it. But he had to do so from a distance. He had to do so looking across this divide saying, you are so toxic. I can't get next to you right now. You'll eat me alive. You are not ready for us to be restored yet. Check this out. But David thought to himself... One of these days I'm going to be destroyed by the hand of Saul, meaning I am exhausted and he's going to catch me. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. What? He tried this before. Didn't go so hot. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I'll slip out of his hand. so David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. Gath? Isn't that Goliath's hometown? Isn't that where last time he went, he got captured and had to pretend like he was insane and frothing at the mouth and gnawing on the door, right? That didn't go great. So David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, so all these thugs brought in their families. And David had his two wives. Creepy, but we talked about that already. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Why is this important? Because in David's boundaries, he backed up and gave room for God to move. Did you see that? He bailed out and said, God, you're going to have to fix his heart. And then he'll check in with him. God, you have to move in this scenario. Then David said to the Philistine king Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory for a year and four months. That's a long time. But how cool is it that God provides for him on the run? It's certainly not what David wants. David wants to go home, but David can't go home. David wants it for all to be over, but it's not over. It's been years now. But God is still providing for him. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Who are these guys? These are Israelite enemies. David's in Philistine territory and still fighting Israel's battles. He is determined to be a deliverer of Israel no matter where he's at. He's like, I don't care where I live. Those are my people. Those are my sheep. That's who I'm fighting for. And no, regardless of how much it costs me, I will protect my people. That's pretty awesome. And these people all lived in a region that we now know on our modern day maps as the Gaza Strip right there on the coast. If you know, over in the Israel area, the Palestinian controlled territory, the Gaza Strip, that's where all this is. Whenever david attacked an area he did not leave a man or woman alive David's a brutal warrior make no mistake Remember when david tries to build the temple of god. What does god tell him? Can't do it. You got blood in your hands, buddy You gotta wait for your son. He's a man of peace. He'll do it. I don't want you building my temple people get the wrong impression David's tough David slaughters men and women alive, but he took the sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. So he would come back to the Philistine territory with all this stuff. So the king would ask, Hey, where'd you go raiding today? Doesn't that sound funny? Where'd you go raiding today? David would go, Oh, against the wilderness of Judah, against the Negev of Jeremiel, against the Negev of the Kenites. He's like, no, 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 man. I'm fighting all your battles. I'm completely out there destroying bad guys. Woo. I'm tired. Now, had he been? Yeah, but he's lying. He's not fighting those guys at all. He's fighting Israelite battles. He did not leave a man or a woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine country. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. David has not completely fooled. Is he lying? Yeah. He is determined to deliver Israel one way or another. Should he have done it a different way? Probably. What do we make of all this? It's really hard and a lot of work to do the right thing. And it will cost you almost always in the short term. You will have to put away the idea of instant gratification more often than not. Your body and your heart will be craving escapism. Your body and heart will be craving comfort and self-destructive behavior. And you will have to say no. Saying no to yourself is very, very difficult. In this world, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, yeah? It's not a person. It's not the person that's coming up and tempting you. They're not the enemy. It's the puppet master that's behind them that's the enemy. For we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and unseen forces. However, out of the world of flesh and the devil, it seems like God has done a great job blasting the devil and getting him off our back. It seems that we have in many ways shielded ourselves from the world, but it seems that the one enemy that seems to be making so many advances in our life is our own flesh. We fight so many outside things, but there's certain things within our own heart, certain idols that we hold on to and we carry them to bed at night and we hold them close to our heart and use them to soothe ourselves. It's not that God's not defending us. It's that we keep opening the back door and allowing it to come in. It's hard to shut that door. It's hard to live rightly. I know. But you are not in this alone. I'm going to remind you again and again and again through this process that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That when you were saved and you were made new and alive in Jesus Christ. That he designed you as a masterpiece to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. That he will give you the power and the necessary backup, the ability to run out the door if you need to. You are not trapped. You are not in bondage. For he who the sun sets free will be free indeed. You can have victory. And you have a lot of help behind you. But we have to determine in our hearts that we're going to utilize it and work with it and not sabotage it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we readily admit to you, Lord, that we have not always taken your help to escape. But we want to. Like Saul, many times we have cried. Many times we have said that we were wrong, but there's been little to no change. Yet, Father, may you infuse into us today a spirit and will of determination to be righteous. That we would set out that we will be a certain type of man or woman of God. And that no matter what comes, we would fall to that default position and hold strong. God, make us strong, full of integrity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.